Before I get started today, I wanted to ask a favor. As you listen, if you like what you hear, please sit down and write a review. If you want to discuss anything from the episode, you can reach out on the Strive, Seek, Find page on Facebook or at Chance Whitmore 5 on Twitter. Most of the time, TV and movies are somewhat forgettable. Other times, something sticks with you forever. Welcome to the Strive, Seek, Find podcast. I'm Chance Whitmore. The best stories pull you in, twist up your guts, and make you feel what's happening on the page or screen. Today, we're going to look at an example of one of the techniques that make that possible. Suspense. And the example I'm pulling from today is one of my favorite shows of all time. All of this is kind of a new process for me, so I'm kind of excited to try this out today. The scene is set, flashing between various characters in obvious state of exhaustion. A scientist, the commander, his crew, the president, a pair of fighter pilots, all disheveled, in pain, drifting off, clearly nearing their breaking point. All the while, the slow ticking of an old analog clock, counting down to the unknown. Suddenly, multiple alarms go off. The enemy appears. The crew springs into action, barely escaping again. All before the opening credits. What have we just stepped into? It's the 2004 reboot of Battlestar Galactica. Not the late 70s version that I cut my teeth on in the days when I thought anything with spaceships was automatically the best show ever, but the post-9-11 reboot, which for the first few seasons were something amazing, thank you Ron Moore, filled with action and more than a little trauma, the new Battlestar showed its potential in its two-hour miniseries on sci-fi only to completely sell me on the concept with the first episode simply titled 33. For me, 33 set the bar in two things. Being an outstanding series opener, unfettered by many of the requirements of a pilot, and two, one of the best examples of suspense building I've ever seen. Let me stress, you don't have to have seen this episode or even like science fiction to appreciate the skill with which the writer and director build suspense through the episode. Now let's get started. I'm fighting some old English teacher habits as I do this, though this week I was told by a former student that listening to my podcast was somewhat like stepping into my class 20 years ago. I took it as a compliment, but I'm fighting the temptation. We're not going to get into a lot of definitions as we go through this process. So I want to hit this through several different lenses today. Atmosphere slash time, stakes and mistakes, and the no-win situation. Now to start us off with atmosphere and time. The setting for this episode, or at least 90% of the episode, from the beginning, it's tight quarters and smothering. It's claustrophobic, and you can feel it throughout the episode. You're enclosed in spaceships that either resemble small commercial airliners, World War II battleships and submarines, or for two of the characters, inside of their fighters known as Vipers. To this oppressive atmosphere, you add that this episode begins with the ticking clock. No music. Just the ticking of an analog clock every second. Takes on kind of a metronome feel. 
It paces the episode and keeps the pressure on. Every 33 minutes, the enemy arrives. And every 33 minutes, the characters need to be ready to act. Clocks of all sorts appear throughout the episode and are constantly given special attention by characters, even in the background, as they move about their business. And when they reset their clock, they move a sticker that shows exactly the 33 minutes so the audience can keep track with them. When the clocks run out, the audience is shown a montage of different clocks with their alarms going off and see the fear blooms on the faces of the characters alongside the exhaustion. Characters are haggard. The cat commander is unshaven. Pilots are struggling to keep their eyes open. Pale, drawn faces. Slight tremor to the hands. Sentences dropped halfway through. People falling asleep standing up. Between the impact on people and the constant move of the clock, that it develops in the audience a sense of dread and despair that through the episode, even the most semi-normal moments, the dread is palpable. And just before the opening credits, the audience learns this process has been on repeat, that these refugees and their protectors have been under constant attack for five days and made over 370 faster-than-light jumps. All this pressure, this despair, this tension leads us right into the next portion. Stakes and mistakes. Honestly, the stakes don't get much higher than Battlestar Galactica rolls out day one. This ragtag fleet, to steal a phrase from the 70s, as far as anyone knows, are all the remaining survivors of the Cylon attack. 52,000 survivors may be the entirety of the human race at this point. It plays heavily into this episode as the number changes several times, and you see the impact on the president each time. For instance, early on in the episode, she learns that their numbers were initially off because of miscounts and people succumbing to injuries. The number is posted and changed on a whiteboard directly behind the president's desk. And you can see the number shift, not only during this episode, but throughout the entire series. Production team definitely wanted to keep it clearly in mind that this is an extinction-level event, and they wanted to keep it in the forefront of your mind as you watch the show. On to mistakes. Early on in the episode, the president notes, We're cutting it close this time and it's explained to her that the jump engines had to be reset. She looks at her aide and says simply, we are slowing down. We are also shown small mistakes. From one of the ship mechanics not being able to find a part that they know is there, to the executive officer having to jump in and take over when a flat gun is offline during a silent attack. All this is done to show the fatigue on these people, the pressure, and how it's building and how they're breaking down. And then jump. Like that, the audience is back on the bridge of the Galactica. And they're doing a status report post-jump. A missing ship. And when she double-checks her work, the officer in charge realizes it's because she didn't receive a report in from them 
before the jump. The executive officer steps in and makes it clear, we make a mistake, people die. On the president's board, she silently drops the number of surviving human beings by almost 1,400. This leads us into the climactic situation, our no-win situation. With the stakes as high as they are throughout the episode, the no-win situation needed to be huge. At the end of the jump, the clock runs again and continues to run until the 33 minutes have passed and the enemy doesn't arrive. So you have a moment where everyone begins to relax and to wonder if it may at least for a moment be over. They stand down for high alert for just a moment. People begin to sleep. And at about the two hour mark, everything changes again. The missing ship arrives. The Olympic carrier is back. There is instant celebration, relief almost. And out of nowhere, the commander says, start the clock. The ship is approaching the fleet, communicating, thank God we made it back. Relief seems palpable as fighter ships approach to investigate. The ship stops responding. It's accelerating towards the fleet. The fighters can't see people inside the few portholes available on the ship. And there's a radiological alarm letting them know there are nuclear materials on board. The fighters fire across the bow of the, of the Olympic carrier. No response. Almost 1,400 lives at risk on one side. And the 4,700 lives remaining on the other. What do they do? Do they destroy those lives to protect the fleet? What if they're wrong? Alarms. The enemy, the silence, have arrived. And two fighter pilots have this in their hands. They've been ordered to destroy the ship for the good of the fleet. They hesitate. They argue. And finally, one of them pulls the trigger and the other joins in, destroying the ship. They return to Galactica. They jump. The pursuit ends. There are many other details that I adore about this episode that didn't make the list. For instance, I left out the disconnected story taking place that slowly starts the process of revealing the villains and their purpose. The side story about a scientist and his interconnection to the silence. The brilliant Bear McCrary score and a ton of other things. While this show is older now, it is completely worth watching. 33 in particular, I feel, is brilliant television. And right now it's available for free on Peacock. Worth mentioning. This entire episode reads like a mega worth mentioning in some ways. So I considered just leaving this out today. But then I read an article on the world in change scenario. That while disturbing, was extremely thought-provoking. The article titled... The Grim Fate That Could Be Worse Than Extinction by Dai Mindari. The article looks 
at the research into the idea that a, of technology allowing a single government or entity to lock the human race into eternal suffering. It's very dark, dystopian stuff, and more than worth checking out. I'll place a link to the article on the Strive Seek Find page on Facebook. Finally, a quick shout out to Ray Rich, host of Not Before Coffee podcast, for the follow on Pod Chaser. Much appreciated. That's it for this week's edition of Strive Seek Find. If you enjoyed what you listened to, leave a review and please subscribe. If not, reach out. My Twitter handle is ChanceWhitmore5. Until next time, keep seeking your own brilliant future. Have a great day.